Welcome back to Finest Hours, the show where we share amazing true stories of human achievement and influence. I'm Braden Cormar, joined as always by my co-host Hayden Hansen and our executive producer Skylar Williams. What's up, y'all? Hoody hey. Hey guys. It feels good to be back on a regular regular schedule again. It sure does. Because it doesn't feel like it's been two weeks since our last episode. I miss the holidays. <laughs> I miss the holidays too, but we're back to our we're back to our dreary lives. <laughs> Nothing better than that. Uh, well, today we have a pretty interesting story for you guys, and we certainly had some fun researching it. And for Hayden, it's great because it's uh, why'd you why'd you pick this actually, Hayden? Because the dude's like an absolute legend in the right circle. In the right circle, which is Hayden's circle. <laughs> Not really my circle. I like heard about his circle and I looked into the circle and I said, wow, that dude is famous for his circle. So Things, and that circle that is a square and that square is a chessboard because we're talking about a beyond exceptional chess player, Bobby Fischer. And that lead I, was fantastic. That the lead, lead in? into, oh. yeah, that was perfect. Well, thank you. Title of this episode, Stuff Hayden Likes. <laughs> Things in a Square. Stuff Hayden's, Hayden finds interesting. And I find it interesting too because it's another Cold War story, kind of. Bobby Fischer, born in 1943 to a Swiss Jewish woman named Regina. She had studied medicine for some time in the Soviet Union before having to leave due to anti-Semitism that was growing in the area. She had fled the Soviet Union and spent some time in France where she met her husband. What's her husband's name, Hayden? He has two names, so I didn't write either of them down because they're too complicated. Is it a German name? Yes. He's got like an Americanized version and a German version. Oh, well. It sounds like Fisher, but it's not. She marries a German... (laughs) She marries a German fellow and they have a daughter together and Regina being a Jew during the late 1930s, early 1940s flees Europe. Not a good place that you want to be as history will tell you. So is it a good place to be yet? uh, You tell me I haven't been (laughs) decent, decent, same with America. Decent. We're just decent. (laughs) Nowhere is really great. <laughs> Except Canada. <laughs> no. Wisconsin. People will treat you nice in Wisconsin. So she flees, she flees France, and her husband is unable to come to America because he is German, and the United States is not invading Germans into the country. Why? Because World War II has started. That's why. So anyway... Her husband doesn't enter to enter the country, um, but she does with her daughter, ends up finding somebody else and having a child, and that child's name is Bobby. That's very German. <laughs> Nothing more German than Bobby. Bobby's a very German name. And so they end up 
claiming that Bobby was the son of the German guy. But his father, his real father, um, ends up paying child support, which is interesting because his name wasn't even on the birth certificate. My, how times have changed. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't even forced to it. Paid for his schooling, which he ended up dropping out of at 16. Must have been quite ungrateful. Um, (laughs) I'm just teasing. He had just moved on and was beyond that kind of an education. Bobby and his sister end up growing up kind of on their own because their mom goes on to continuing uh, studying nursing and medicine and eventually becomes a physician. So she's working all the time. Bobby tends to be a bit of a loner because of all of this, but he is good friends with his sister. And so one day they walk into a candy shop and end up buying Wait, 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 wait. No brother is good friends with their sister. The sister is a good sister to Bobby. Are you friends with your sister, Hayden? Which one? Pick one. Yes. Oh. Are you friends with your sister, sister. Skylar? (laughs) Yes. Oh, okay, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) And so, anyway, they walk into a candy shop together and end up buying a chessboard. So they play a little bit together, but his sister loses interest, and Bobby eventually basically finds his obsession so he may have been a little OCD. Um, in some interviews, he said if it wasn't chess that he fell in love with, he would have found something else and would have been the best at that. So Bobby loves chess, ends up playing against himself, and quickly realizes that he's going to go undefeated for a long time if this continues. <laughs> <laughs> and so he begins studying very intensely he finds a book filled with old chess games and starts studying he's like age six and he starts going hard and figuring out how the game works and some of the deeper strategies within it Life at the was time boring in the 1950s man and so his mom being concerned is like wow let me put an ad in the paper instead of being like hey bobby you should maybe play a sport <laughs> <I'm> kidding <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She tweets out, no, she uh, puts an ad in the paper because she's like, wow, Bobby's kind of lonely. He's just playing chess by himself. Maybe I should get him like some friends or maybe like older people that like to play chess and they'll match up against each other. It never gets published, but someone gets them in touch with the Manhattan Chess Club. And so Bobby starts going over to the club um, and starts playing chess with other people so he doesn't have to be lonely. And that is when his undefeated streak his undefeated streak comes to a crashing halt. <laughs> Very few people end up going undefeated in any sort of tournament. Bobby does eventually. But we're going to talk about some of his most impressive exploits. But Before we do that, we want to tell you how chess games are scored. In case you guys are not avid chess players, you score one point if you win. If you draw, you get half a point, And if you lose you get zero. And so when they go into tournaments, this is how they gain points. You win, you get one, you draw, you get a half. And then if you lose, you don't get any. We figured this becomes crucial because I didn't know this until like two days ago. I knew about Bobby knew that he kicked, butt. had no idea how the scores actually worked. And so all of these scores made zero sense until we started looking into this. And based off of the scores is kind of, you get your rank. Yeah, your rank fluctuates a ton. And so Bobby, when he starts out playing chess uh, competitively, 
Uh, you start with a ranking in like the 1300s. The highest he ever got was in the 2700s. And so you essentially need a rank. They've got a, a very official way of ranking people. Um, you have to win specific tournaments and you have to have a score or a ranking that is high enough. And so a lot of pieces have to fall into place for you to move up in ranks. And it just so happens that Bobby starts climbing the ranks extremely quickly that the pieces kind of fall in his favor. So Bobby is very well known for what is considered the game of the century among chess players. And so in it's in 1956 and he's only 13 years old. During this tournament, he ends up going and scoring 4.5 points out of 11. So not a great performance. But one of his games, he absolutely destroys his opponent. So Bobby goes up against a guy named Donald Byrne, who is an international master, and that's the second highest rating that you can have. It's just short of a grandmaster. Which is a good place for us to stop. Explain to us what exactly a grandmaster is. So a grandmaster is somebody that's got a score, I believe, over 2,500. And so you have to win a certain amount of games and you also have to first become an international master by winning a certain tournament. They have tournaments called interzonals. That's where international masters typically play. An international master can represent their country in international tournaments, but it's still short of a grandmaster. A grandmaster also has to be able to defeat a certain amount of other grandmasters. And so it's a pretty complicated method of advancing. But Bobby ends up becoming the world's youngest grandmaster at age 16. So it only takes him a couple years to advance. And there's people that play for years and decades and centuries, probably. Just kidding. I don't know that anybody was that old. (laughs) Played for centuries. (laughs) Some of them looked like it. (laughs) Um, But he's playing an international master that is a university professor. So he's already established in a career and he's very intelligent and is one of America's best chess players at the time. But Bobby notices that he makes a bad move. And so after this game has been analyzed about a million different times, there's pretty much consensus that Donald Byrne makes a mistake. He essentially pulls a piece back. And so he loses what they call a tempo. And so it kind of knocks him out of rhythm. And Bobby is able to establish his pieces into the right spot. And he ends up sacrificing his queen, which is why everybody loves this game so much. Is he Chess really nerds love this game queen. so much. Oh, yes. Anybody that studies the game Cause you're not supposed to with it. ever, ever give up your queen. Yes, rookies do that. Bobby was no rookie. (laughs) And so Bobby sacrifices a queen, which even though you can sometimes recognize that that could be a good move, it's still always a tough move to make. And so, and it's so hard to not take a queen, even if you see that it's a gamble. And so Byrne ends up taking the queen, but in return, Bobby then is able to take a rook, two bishops, and a pawn, And all of his pieces fall into like this perfect position. And then he just basically starts beating up on this guy. And he marches the king all the way across the board and then puts him into checkmate. And so it was was pretty sick because basically as soon as the queen is sacrificed, Bobby wins. Like it's just over. 
which is such an odd thing. But that was the game of the century. A 13-year-old defeating an international master just for fun. But in this tournament, he only finished in eighth place, but he did have this one brilliant performance and did get a trophy for this performance. And infinite recognition. And, and so recognition. people then can't recognize, hey, this guy, this kid's pretty smart. How'd you do so bad? I can't remember what they called the trophy. It was something like a brilliance trophy or something like that. Yeah, they call it a brilliancy or something. Brilliant. 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 Why didn't we think of that? So I stated before, Bobby was age 13 when he entered that tournament and took eighth place. He was then invited to participate in the 1957-58 U.S. Chess Tournament. The defending world junior champion stated that Bobby would be in the middle of the pack. How dare he? Little did he know that Bobby would then score a 10.5 out of 13. And by this time, he was at the age of 14. So with that win, he then earned the rank of international master. So within a year, he goes from not being that well-ranked to being an international master. So he then gets the opportunity to travel to the USSR, which he had always wanted to do since his mother had been there. So some of his mother's connections from the time of the Soviet Union helped get him in, and he plays in a lots of blitz games, which are... Hey, what, what is a blitz game? A blitz game is when you've got a timer. And so in a lot of these bigger tournaments, these chess matches can last a long time. But in a blitz game, you've got a timer and you've got to go quickly. Even the very best chess players can still make mistakes in a blitz. Is it 15 seconds or does it depend on the blitz game? Mm, depends on the blitz game, but you, the timer is kind of like a cumulative timer. And so it's like you can take nine minutes on your first move, but that may leave you like 10 seconds for the rest of the game. And so usually they move pretty quickly. Okay. So he does pretty well in this tournament, but he does get beaten and he gets, he gets pretty upset and calls the, says something like, I'm sick of playing against these Russian pigs. And he's being, (laughs) the Russians are hosting him in this tournament. And like, yeah. So he kind of, he kind of, He's very mature for his age. He kind of goes he'll pick a fight with anybody. A, a little bit crazy there, which of course the Russians don't like. And oh, guess what? By the way, this is the middle of the Cold War in case we've not mentioned that yet. Eventually he plays in a tournament where there's 28 separate games that he plays in in this tournament. So this isn't over the course of one day, multi-day tournament, multi-week tournament. And he plays against some of the best in the world and he ends up scoring 12.5 out of 28. He's just totally outclassed. And so at the end of this tournament, he actually publishes his first book. And so it was called something like Bobby's Chess How to Games. be outclassed? Oh. How to be outclassed. <laughs> it's, it's called, wait, it's called what? It's like Bobby's Chess Games or something like that, which it just, I think it sounds so funny. Yeah, well, it's also like pretty arrogant to put your name on the title of a book. <laughs> That's Bobby for you. <laughs> So Bobby recognizes that he's, for his age, he can tell that he is pretty dang good and he knows where he's going. He wins that first game, becomes an international master in the U.S. chess tournament, and he proceeds to win like the next seven. Um, He ends up sweeping one time, wins with a score of 11 out of a possible 11 in 1963 and 1964. 
And that's never been done since. And so they established a prize for anybody that was able to do that. That prize still goes unclaimed. And so that's pretty incredible. During those, I think it's a total of like seven years of playing in the U.S. uh, chess tournament, wins all seven. He wins 61 individual games, has 26 draws, and only three losses in all of his time playing. And so that is a huge deal when he's playing against other Americans. And so he recognizes that he didn't really have the opportunity to grow up in a culture that kind of cultivated chess, which would be kind of a lame culture, but you know. (laughs) Yeah, because he went to American high schools where he's getting picked on by people that, you know, play sports. Nude. He had many a swirly and several wedgies, but he did come out on top. <laughs> actually, actually, I don't know if that's documented, but I'm not surprised at all if that is the case. And he actually quits school at age 16 and just travels all over playing chess, which is also crazy. Um, he had, by, before he was like age 18, he'd been playing in Iceland, Argentina, Yugoslavia, the USSR, New York, and he'd basically been all over. He was born in Chicago. Um, I don't know if we'd mentioned that, but ended up living in New York. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, that's I was just going to say, detail. he'd been all over. So he's played all over the world at this point, and he wants to play a game in Cuba, and I, or a tournament in Cuba. And I can't say I blame him because Cuba sounds pretty cool. But the U.S. wouldn't approve his passport and his travel because, hey, guess what? Cuba is a communist country, and the United States doesn't like communist countries. So... In order to get around this, he plays this game through a fax machine and it's just relaying messages through a fax machine. And I And so this took forever. Yeah. I mean, this is nineteen what, sixty-ish, nineteen sixties technology. And okay, it, boomer. His average game took between eight and twelve hours by doing this, and he finished second place in this tournament. Yeah, Bobby was pretty extreme and was also extreme in some of his requests to certain tournament sponsors. And so he ends up getting eliminated he, from multiple tournaments because he has some demands that aren't that don't end up getting met. But it's kind of hard to blame him because if they don't get met and he has to make concessions, he ends up playing for like 12 hours at a time, which would just be exhausting. Think Antonio Brown levels of demand. <laughs> <laughs> And then raise that. <laughs> so in 1970, he was determined and he said, you know what? I'm going to be the world champion. And so he destroys everybody leading up to the championship in 1971. He destroys people so bad that he crushed a USSR player 6-0. So you know these Soviet guys are getting paid and like training to play chess and he just walks over this guy so the ussr team gets ticked and they forbid that player for traveling because he lost so badly amongst other things too like they never allow him to play chess again they ban him from being able to go back to his previous uh, profession that he had had they also quartered him in Soviet, <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't quarter him, but in Soviet Russia, there. If you're a loser, you're not. You're, a loser. you're no longer a Soviet. So <laughs> they really didn't like that guy after that. Yeah, they don't like. They don't like losing. Now, at this level of chess, basically 
everybody has a huge head. Bobby gets lined up to play against another grandmaster, a Danish one. They had interviewed several other grandmasters to ask how it would go. Bobby just went 6-0 and against a Soviet. What do you think this is going to be like? And people were like, eh, you know, it'll probably be pretty even. The Danish guy probably studied up on Bobby pretty well. I bet he has some surprises in store for him. And then Bobby proceeds to crush him 6-0 as well. Absolute legend. Nice work. <laughs> nice work. Next. Now, <laughs> it's time to start playing with the big boys. So the Soviet Union was well-renowned for their chess players, surprisingly. I didn't know that either. But a lot of people... Chess in, and hockey. That's all they, that's all they loved. And yeah. vodka. They're doing what you do in Russia and staying inside. Yeah. Playing hockey, playing chess, and building nuclear warheads. So the Soviet Union had previously held a tournament. The Soviet Union versus the rest of the world. <laughs> which guess who won the soviet union won but bobby fisher is lined up to play the world champion a soviet named boris spatsky and fisher like we mentioned is pretty demanding he wants to play in yugoslavia spatsky wants to play in iceland they finally agree to playing in Reykjavik, iceland but now fisher's like no, the prize money's too low. So he demands that they double the prize money. And a random millionaire decides to plop down an additional $125,000, doubling the pool, making the total prize money about $1.53 million uh, in today's money. So no shortage of cash there. So leading up to this tournament, Bobby's like, man, I got to get fit. Like, I got to get pumped. <laughs> and so he's playing tennis, he's swimming, and he even starts boxing. And he's yeah. like, let's <laughs> Wait get for pumped. it. Um, imagine imagine the, like a montage, like in the Rocky movies of, of Fisher swimming and playing tennis and boxing. Probably doing one-handed push-ups whilst moving chess pieces on a board. <laughs> Sweat dripping from his forehead. Wearing the classic gray sweats, great sweatshirt ordeal. Definitely has a headband. <laughs> Definitely has a headband, preferably blue. Because blue, that's red and white for Russia. <laughs> <laughs> so Anyway, so he gets to this tournament. They start playing the first game. Bobby's like, ooh, let me do this. Let me do that. Plays pretty risky, and he ends up losing the first game. Boo. Dude's kind of stressed out. Gets gets upset, gets stressed out. Maybe he was like, man, I didn't really mean to lose that game. And so he says, there's too many cameras and forfeits and loses game two. Because if um, you're and, upset about losing game one on accident, <laughs> there's no better way for revenge than losing game two on purpose. Dude, I'm telling you, Antonio Brown. <laughs> and so <laughs> after that, he's like, ah, you know what? I am going to just kind of mess around. And so he goes on to win the next seven or win seven out of the next 19. He draws 11 of those games um, and he loses an additional one. And so this doesn't take place in just a span of a week or a couple of weeks. It goes on from July to September 
1972. Yep. So this was one single match with 21 separate games over the course of like several months, which is just crazy. Um, and that's how you become world champion in chess is it's not just like a single game. You have to be better in order to take the title. And so like, he's just like going on this crazy winning streak and the Soviets are accusing him of cheating. So they bring in the Reykjavik police to like comb through the scene and there's no signs of cheating anywhere. So they go on and continue to resume their game and Spatsky does fall at the hand of Bobby Fischer. And this was a huge deal. Like this was a massive media sensation. Uh, The Soviet Union was like so, so good at chess and won so many international tournaments in a row and was boasting that, they were so much more intelligent than the rest of the world because they were good at chess and, Oh, guess what? We're communist. And that makes us <laughs> don't take it personally. It's just that we're better how, than you. This is we how just, things, we just force people to to play chess. <laughs> this is how things worked in the cold war. Bobby Rexham gets the title and heads home. Well, when he gets home, everybody's like, man, that Bobby kid, he's real hot. And so they start putting him on the cover of magazines and stuff. So he ends up on the cover of Sports Illustrated, Time Magazine, nice. amongst others. Nice. What a player. And so <laughs> all of these people are like, man, Bobby, that was dope. And so they start offering him like a whole bunch of sponsorships. And the sponsorships that he was offered at the time are estimated to be around, around $30 million in today's terms. And he turned them all down. Dude was quite a character. I don't know why he would do that. Do you he know proceeds why? to not play any competitive or public games for like the next 20 years. He was just so like, he no, like, was like no, I'm not interested in playing chess for you guys. I play chess for me. <laughs> oh my gosh, dude. You know what? This, this is seriously like Rocky four. <laughs> <laughs> I win for me, for me. But it probably took a toll on him. That's like well, some serious brain power to play chess. Fisher, unfortunately, like, does start to go kind of crazy throughout the remainder of his life. He sees Soviets everywhere. <laughs> not that. <laughs> PTSD every time. He's in not, that, not that kind of crazy. More After like, his three-month war with the Soviet, <laughs> a single Soviet, it's really interesting. He doesn't end up having a lot of pride in America, which is so interesting because during this time, you'd think that's what you'd develop after you crush a Soviet like that. But he wasn't really in it for anybody except himself. Because after that championship, he doesn't play for a solid year. Um, and this guy kind of emerges and he's like, let's play. And he's like, nah, I'm good. I don't he want says, to. He says, yeah, I'll play on my terms. So he submits his terms for the next world championship and it's it's not like so crazy ridiculous but of course the board that's in charge of it is like we can't just bend down and bow to bobby fisher so he makes three demands and they approve one of them and then so bobby responds and is like nope not playing and so then the board considers that a forfeit and so he forfeits his title (laughs) and then he vanishes for 20 years (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. he's off the grid disappears he bounces 
was off the grid. You end up finding out later that he'd been playing, you know, casually amongst friends. He's playing against a grandmaster, another friend, so similar ranking in 1981. And Bobby basically puts this dude on blast and beats him like 17 times. They end up interviewing the guy later and he's like, I wasn't even making mistakes. Like I was just, just being outplayed. He just played on a totally different level. And he said it wasn't even fun because he wasn't even able to challenge Bobby in any of the matches. Um, and so <laughs> he's like, he beat me 17 times. It wasn't fun. <laughs> so it wasn't fun for him. And I'm pretty sure he knew it wasn't very fun for Bobby. Bobby's basically disinterested with chess at this point. And so he starts developing like new versions of it. And so they've got something out now called like chess 960, which is kind of based off of what he was developing. It's a form of like blitz chess. And so he just kind of is uninterested with the game at this point because he knows that there's not really anybody out there that could challenge him. But that takes us to his last formal game. Where he is Bobby. And what does Bobby do? He says, I'm still the world champ. And so he gets a rematch with Spassky, um, finally gets his wish, and they play in Yugoslavia. By this time, the game was incorporated with computers, and Bobby was like, nah, man, I, I'm a boomer. I don't like computers. Um, and he uh, plays in his He's not a boomer. <laughs> he, boomers, yes, he by is. definition, were not born be- during or before World War II. <laughs> He was born in 1943. So anyway, he plays in the outdated style, and guess what? He wins. The future world champ, Kasparov, says that he was playing okay, but nothing more. But the funny part is, Bobby still wins. Yeah. (laughs) It was all right. (laughs) It's just so funny to see, like, how big of heads all of these people had. And it's funny to see like all of their comments and Bobby just goes and keeps crushing people and destroys him. But as, as much as we, as we kind of made fun of Bobby, um, (laughs) dude was a champ. Like (laughs) he was a champ considered to be a cold war hero. Yes. So man's a legend. Fair to say that he was the best chess player of all time. Definitely fair to say that. People will argue it to this day, but it's not usually a great argument. Chess people are, yeah. They literally look at everything and it's like, oh, well, you know, he did make this one bad move in 1937 before he was born. I made a bad move two weeks ago. (laughs) Well, my computer is dying, so... That is probably as good of a place as any to uh, close our episode, but we hope you enjoyed this tale. Skylar, why don't you close us out here? Yeah, so we hope you guys enjoyed this wonderful story about Bobby Fischer. And if you didn't, it's all right. We'll have a story for you next time. Um, We hope that you guys (laughs) subscribe. We hope that you guys rate us, review us, share us with your to your friends we want to get big we uh we want to share these stories with everybody and we hope that you guys want to as well yeah help us out and uh, be sure to follow us on our instagram finest hours podcast to keep up with our content you'll be able to see when we come out with new shows and see some exclusive content
Yeah, it's not really that exclusive. (laughs) (laughs) But give us a follow and let us know who inspires you and who we should do an episode on in the near future. Add it to the list of many amazing people in history. So that's going to do it for us this week, but we'll come back with you in a couple weeks with another amazing story. Das Fidania, baby. Thank you.